Welcome to the Using the Whole Whale podcast, where we learn from leaders about new ideas and digital strategies making a difference in the social impact world. This podcast is a proud production of Whole Whale, a B Corp digital agency. Thank you for joining us. Now, let's go learn something. This week, this week on the nonprofit news feed brought to you by Whole Whale, we, uh, we have some news, surprise, about nonprofits. Specifically, we're talking about the fight over phonics, not Phoenix, like I put in the subject line. Common mistake and actually a little on the nose, perhaps, about actually the the reading and writing issues found and revealed in, in some of the New York Times. And we're also talking about folks turned away, left at sea in Greece, ProPublica, and human rights campaign announcements. Nick, how's it going? It's going great, George. But as per your eloquent segue into our first story, we want to talk about this reporting from the New York Times and others about a fight over phonics curriculum. So the story details how a woman named Lucy Calkins, who was an education professor and creator of the popular units of study curriculum used by over a quarter of US elementary schools, has significantly revised her approach to early reading instruction. So this comes in response to mounting criticism from parents and educators who promote the science of reading and an increased focus on phonics. So Calkins has overhauled her entire curricula to include daily structured phonics lessons, more rigorous texts, swapping out light reading assignments for more intense ones, and the revised curriculum due for release this summer also includes a 20-page guide summarizing 50 years of cognitive research on reading. So Calkins has traditionally championed balanced literacy, which emphasizes thematic exploration and personal choice in reading over phonics-focused approaches. But the shift reflects a growing consensus on the importance of phonics in early reading education, with brain science and educational policies increasingly favored this method. George, the reason we're talking about this on this podcast is because critics dispute Calkin on the substance of the policy, particularly her design of this curricula. But I think the more nuanced kind of story, and which made this one catch our attention, was the over the the pretty wide-reaching influence of essentially a singular individual on public literacy education in this country and the over-reliance on a, a woman, a company, a curricula, a product, essentially, to guide this country in a way that, as it turns out, may not actually have been helpful. And there are now studies that literacy rates are declining in the United States. Like Children every year increasingly study with the basic reading. So, so George, why did we, in your words, choose to feature this story at the top of the podcast. And what does this mean for for nonprofits and how nonprofits approach policy issues? I think this deeply impacts nonprofits. If you look at the fact that 67,000 elementary schools use it, there are many nonprofits that deal with in and after school reading and assistance. It's really the fundamental pillar upon all, all of the education to a young child's development depends upon. And this company, which sold, didn't give, sold, and continue to sell 
balanced literacy and units of study, its brand, and otherwise sort of ignored a lot of research with regard to the upside of phonics has been proven undeniably to be lacking. The thing that gets me a little bit here is, you know, again, with nonprofits picking up the slack for needing to help children that have fallen behind grade level, is that there's also the the long known school to prison pipeline. And here's just a stat. According to the National Adult Literacy Survey, 70% of all incarcerated adults cannot read at a fourth grade level. I'm going to say that again. 70% of all incarcerated adults cannot read at a fourth grade level. Reading is the fundamental pillar. And this particular company and unbacked research seems like it was a key point of failure for decades of children. I find that frustrating. And I think now, especially if you are a nonprofit in or around the education of elementary school students on reading, this is a high order of alert for how you need to readjust the fact that hundreds of thousands of teachers have been trained at Columbia University's Teachers College, which she and her team, Lucy Calkins, made up this style and sold this style of reading education. So uh, I think there's a lot of second order effects and work to be done by by nonprofits here. Yeah, George, I agree with you. And I think that this kind of gets at the inextricably linked relationship between all these aspects of our society, our education, our criminal justice system, even economics, right? Reading directly impacts economics. In fact, from a international development standpoint, literacy rates are one of the best proxies for economic development in a country. And I think that when we look at this holistically, the importance of reading cannot be overstated. And as you mentioned, nonprofits are on the front lines of providing, you know, welfare and other interventions that our, our government, quite frankly, just isn't equipped or inhibited from providing. They're on the front lines of the net results of poor education policy. So yeah, disappointing to see, but I think that I agree I agree with your analysis and and hopefully this gets righted really quickly. And and Georgia, this also comes, you know, George, you have two school age or approaching school age kids. America's education system is a hodgepodge of decentralized choices made by states, cities, and specific boards of education. So it's remarkable, actually, that this was as widespread it was, considering how decentralized our education system is. So hopefully we're able to kind of move this ship in the right direction as quickly as possible. Yeah, it's a good point. You know, the United States lacks a national curriculum or teacher training standards, which allows for companies interested in selling and making money from pushing ideology that may or may not have science backed. And, you know, they, they quote in here, many teachers like me have believed that a professor, uh, teacher's college at an Ivy League institution should be up to date on the reading research. I feel like there's a lot of doctor washing out there, degree and pedigree as proxy for effectiveness. 
And you know, this is the sort of second time last week we talked about how CAS AI and working with the Washington University departments there in, in medicine put together a chatbot that was not public facing ready, but there were a lot of doctors and degrees and pedigrees involved in perhaps convincing that. An update on that story actually is that it was revealed in a statement by NIDA, National Eating Disorder Association, that CAS, C-A-S-S dot A-I, CAS AI, basically threw in an LLM, a large language model, that in addition to what they had already developed, which was a, a logic flow, so it shouldn't have jumped, they threw in an LLM without their knowledge and then unleashed it to a broad audience without the appropriate testing of an LLM. So that was actually an announcement came out last week. But again, there seems to be a bit of a pattern here of what I'll just say is degree washing, doctor washing, pedigree as a proxy for the actual performance of, of what should be done. And so it's just an alert now in the back of my mind. And I hope it is for you as well. I think it's an important alert, George. And, you know, we talk about trust a lot on this podcast. Nonprofits, unlike many other institutions in the United States, still maintain fairly high levels of trust. But we also talk on this podcast about nonprofit fraud and uh, the abusing of nonprofit tax code. And just like anything, what looks something that looks nice and shiny and professional on paper might have potentially more cynical implications. But that being said, I want to take us into our next story, George. And this is one that I really recommend that folks look into. It's kind of a la long and, and, and sad story, but in particular, it was a New York Times story that ran about two weeks ago and then got the daily podcast treatment just this past week. And the report is that the Greek Coast Guard, so the Coast Guard of the country of Greece, was ostensibly convincing migrants to reboard boats. So these are recently arrived migrants and refugees, reboard boats. And then the Greek Coast Guard was putting them in little rafts and essentially just dumping them into the middle of the ocean with hopes that they drift towards Turkey and then it would become the Turkish Coast Guard's problem. This is, of course, a violation of many laws. It's a violation of Greek law. It is a violation of EU law, and it is a violation of international law. And I care deeply, I'm deeply passionate about this topic, which is why I was, I was looking for a way to kind of include this on the podcast. But what's really interesting is how they found this. And I think the important role of NGOs and activists, as well as some cautionary tales in this story. So I really do recommend our listeners listen to this daily episode but the story starts actually with a tip that a New York Times reporter got from an activist who had been trying to capture this practice on camera, which apparently has been rumored to have been happening for years, but no one could really document it. Apparently, it's it's hard to kind of see what big Coast Guard boats are doing in the middle of the ocean. But this guy had like a long telephoto lens and he was like in the right place at the right time and essentially saw these people being taken out of a van brought out into the ocean and the New York Times was able to verify it. So at the one point you have this kind of renegade activist who's able to feed information to the New York Times and now it becomes an international story. So I think that highlights the role of activists and NGOs on the ground and their importance. 
However, what complicates that is actually how did the Greek Coast Guard lure refugees to get in a white van to a boat into the ocean? They lied and posed as Doctor Without Borders humanitarians. They said, we are humanitarians with Doctors Without Borders. We are here to help and essentially kidnapped them and dumped them in the middle of the ocean. That is a grotesque abuse of the reputation of a well-known and trusted international NGO in violation of the law. And I don't really have any kind of recommendation for what to do about this. This is a government that is chosen to to go this route. And I'm not saying that the the migrant or refugee crisis is an easy one to solve. It is not. But you can't treat human beings like this. And you cannot pose as humanitarian workers for an NGO in essentially committing a crime. So George, I, I don't really know what to say for most of our listeners who are kind of domestic, you know, work at small to medium sized nonprofits in the United States, other than this is a story that's really important to me. I care a lot about migrant and refugee rights, particularly in Central and Eastern Europe. And it's it's just a sad one. Yeah, I don't have too much to add there. I'm tempted to do my Michael Barbaro impression because it seems like the Daily has been coming out with a lot of nonprofit adjacent updated content. So thanks for bringing this to us. I don't know what to do. I, I was looking actually for news about Doctors Without Borders to see if they would have maybe seen this and put out a statement. I mean, not that you need to put out a statement like we don't endorse dumping migrants at sea, but potentially condemning Greece or, or some sort of public action narrative about it. I don't know how you protect your brand, though, from a government that is misusing it to trap other people. I mean, it is a testament to the fact of the power of brand of nonprofits, the fact that they would choose that as opposed to, you know, local hospital or something that else like that. It's a, you know, recognized international agency with very powerful trust elements for, for people on the ground. The problem then becomes is the counter narrative. Again, if Doctors Without Borders isn't there, that people will less trust when someone says, hey, I'm with Doctors Without Borders. Here's, you know, a vaccine, here's support, and then, you know, come to the wherever it is. So it's tough. Yeah, that's it's tough. Yeah. Well, I think stories shine brighter in light as opposed to darkness. So glad that the light has been focused, brought this story to the surface. But speaking of journalists bringing stories to the surface, our next story comes from ProPublica, which has made some splashy headlines this year really making a name for itself, particularly leading the charge on the Clarence Thomas Harlan Crow disclosures and the money moving through our Supreme Court. And we talk about it on this podcast because there's a nonprofit money vehicle aspect to that. But ProPublica is itself a nonprofit investigative journalism outlet. And in addition to that, they actually do a lot of investigative reporting on the nonprofit sector, being a nonprofit themselves. And they have a tool called the Nonprofit Explorer, which is kind of akin to the IRS's Form 990 search, except it's a lot easier because it's run not by the IRS. And they added more than a million new records to that Nonprofit Explorer, a lot from the most recent year, but even some historic records going back when it comes to nonprofit disclosures. So we just wanted to highlight this because uh, if you work in development or 
are any kind of administrative capacity on a nonprofit, finance, accounting, whatever, you come across these Form 990s. And George, when you and I vet nonprofits, potential future clients, et cetera, we are looking at these forms. We, we are looking at them to see, you know, how do they handle their finances? Can they be trusted? And then various other rating organizations, the, the charity navigators of the world, use them as a proxy for transparency and accountability. This seems like a good step for some just an additional data point when it comes to nonprofit transparency and accountability. I'll say this is super impressive. Projects.propublica.org is able to you know, let you find high paid officers across organizations, any word or phrase with Boolean search. You can find other keyword phrases by state, by organization category, and then even types, you know, be it anywhere from C1 to C92 with all random numbers in between that. And so I think this is a, a super valuable reporting tool that they clearly have opened up. Another one that I've previously used and I've been very impressed with is Cause IQ for individual nonprofit searches and, and finding they've been, they were actually a past client of Whole Whales and they've got one of the more robust search capabilities for even deeper nonprofit information. But for, for research, this is interesting. George, I think you and I both like we like a, a fun little exploration. We like digging around. We like doing our great research, way to lose doing a couple hours. Send, send me towards a database that I can query. Like <laughs> that's how I that's how I miss my next meeting. <laughs> George is knee deep in a database that. <laughs> Sorry, I got lost. At, at this point, the folks on the team are just like, "Oh yeah, we get it." I, oh, you got got lost with an AI project. Oh, you got lost with a new data set. Yep. Sorry. Hey, what sometimes you, you have to get lost every once in a while to find that new path. So that was pretty bad. It, I'm just going to stop talking and take us to our next story. <laughs> and this one comes from the Human Rights Campaign. The Human Rights Campaign is one of the largest and oldest LGBTQ plus civil rights organizations in the United States. And last week, they officially declared a state of emergency for LGBTQ people in the United States for the first time in its more than 40-year history, following, quote, an unprecedented and dangerous spike in anti-LGBTQ plus legislative assaults sweeping state houses this year. So according to a new report that they released called LGBTQ Americans Under Attack, more than 75 anti-LGBTQ plus bills have been signed into law this year alone, more than doubling last year's number which was previously the worst year on record. So it seems this report seems to be documenting that LGBT hate is on the rise, not just in rhetoric, but in terms of actually written laws as politicians use this to kind of drum up support and, and hate across the nation. But the Human Rights Campaign is a major organization, and, and people listen when they put out such strong statements like this. And this is particularly in relation to the trans community, which within you know the umbrella of the LGBTQ plus community has in particular come under attack. George, what do you make of, of, of all of this, including HRC's declaration of a state of emergency? I was wondering if at first this wasn't a way to get in a round of press. And I was like, you know, what constitutes an emergency? What threshold? And I think their ability to 
combine that with the data of, frankly, the bills. There were uh, 115 bills introduced in 2015 classified as anti-LGBTQ+. 115 in 2015. In 2023, there were more than 500 to more than 500 bills introduced, and then 75 signed into law. So it is alarming that it clearly seems to be, especially if we look at a state like Florida, being used as a more political messaging tool to you know, signal and dog whistle to folks around the country, not necessarily representing that state's view at all, which you know has, has traditionally been a bit purple, that there are, you know, frankly, Governor DeSantis going after the presidential nomination and in order to curry favor with certain parts of the right-wing base, putting out more bills that attack LGBTQ and you know, it seems inside of that transgender populations disproportionately have, have been, have been used as a way of frankly, political marketing, not the will of the people or protecting anybody. And it, it's absurd. Yeah, George, I agree. It's, it's, it's devastating. And the heat just seems to be really, really high right now. I will call out the amazing work that HRC is doing. So within this release, and what I like about it is it's not just a press release. There's lots of ways hmm. to interact yeah. with this content. There are, there's even like a, a structured kind of chat for how to have conversations on difficult issues. They do a really, really good job of formulating tons of resources and content. What can you do? What should you be concerned about? What should you be paying attention to in a really, really comprehensive way that I find extremely compelling? They're doing fantastic work over there. So if you're interested in learning more, getting involved, or if you yourself have questions, please check out the Human Rights Campaign via this release in the show notes or just go to their website directly. But they do a truly phenomenal job. Yeah, this is a great example. It's linked in our newsletter. If you are only listening to this, nonprofitnewsfeed.com is where you can get the <clears throat> weekly summaries with links to click on and occasionally properly spelled subject lines, but only occasionally. All right, that George, that was a downer. Why don't we take us into a feel good? Yeah, I actually put a new feel good in this week so we could actually talk about something <laughs> beyond quilting. <laughs> Oh my gosh, we've, we've talked about quilts uh, many a week, but we're with a new one today. And this one comes from Johnstown, PA. And the story goes that for years, the Johnstown Traction Co car number 362 crisscrossed the city underneath overhead wires, carrying passengers to and from busy, sig busy, busy business districts. And it will be on the move again because the Johnstown Area Heritage Association has less than a year to find a new home for this 1926 era car. But he's hoping there will be local interest to get it back on display in Johnstown. So, George, I love history. We love transportation. We have this historic car. They're looking for a place to put it. So, you know, let's see if we can preserve a little bit of history here. I love old train cars. I would like, I would, nothing more would make me happier than for, like for a month to just like overhaul that car. That's awesome. I, I don't know. You would turn it into in a bar. <laughs> hey, <laughs> that's now, now we're talking. Of course, Nick's joking that I have turned my crawl space under my house into a bar and taken it way too far because that's what I do. 
A quick shout out to nonprofit.ist, nonprofitist, where you can connect with experts. Frankly, RFPs are being inundated right now with GPT tools that generate these proposals after proposals. And the truth is it's paper in front of people. And I think with nonprofitist, nonprofit.ist, you're able to have conversations with over 300 different consultants that have been vetted, that have been part of this community to talk through, to talk through the projects you're interested in doing and saving a bunch of time and frankly, letting AI do what AI does instead of getting in the way of finding the right solution for your project. Alrighty. I have a question for you, Nick. You ready? Well, whether or not it's I'm coming ready. at you. It's coming at you. Yeah. How, <laughs> how did the fundraiser for frogs fail? How did the fundraiser for frogs fail? Mm-hmm. That I do not know. It croaked. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> it's like, they... it croaked, you know, it died. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. I don't know. I had to put something in there. That's what you get for making it to the end. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, George. This has been Using the Whole Whale podcast. If you want to keep learning more about these topics and others, head on over to wholewhale.com university to keep learning with us. Thanks, as always, to gregthomasmusic.org for his tunes that underwrite our tracks. They're fantastic. Hope you're doing well, Greg. And just a reminder, subscribes really help us on any platform that you listen to us on. Please give a thought to click and subscribe and maybe even a comment because we like hearing from you.